welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. Today, we feature audio from the Elite Business Advice Podcast with Chris Moore. In this episode, Chris talks with Nick Slavic of Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration to share the three areas of your business that you should be tracking data and using it daily for your company. Nick also shares some insight on how he went from zero to 22 employees in 20 months and has nearly doubled that over the last two years. This episode is sponsored by 3M and PPG. Welcome to the Elite Business Advice Podcast. My name is Chris Moore. I'm the founder of Elite Business Advisors, and the goal of our podcast is to help you grow your business and also educate you on a variety of topics that affect self-employed small business owners. Today's episode, we've got Nick Slavic with us. Nick is the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we're going to talk a little bit about data, apprenticeship, and how he's grown his business over the years. Nick, welcome to the show. Oh, man. Listen, I'm a fan of yours, so this is humbling to get to sit here with you well, on I your home turf. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you coming down from Minnesota to, to record this. I know it wasn't the only reason you were here, but uh, no, it's an honor to have you here. I've had you on my list for a long time and glad logistically it finally worked out that you were in St. Louis and we could get this done. So, Great, man. I always look forward to talking to you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Likewise. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your background and your story in the painting industry. Yeah, elevator pitch would be started at 10. Okay. I'm now 40, so right. we're working on the three decades in, awesome. in the industry. And, uh, you know, people have two origin stories, it seems, in our industry, which is dad did it, so I did it, or I did it in college, and right. dad did it for okay. me. So right. I, was, I was forced into service for the family business at there 10, 10 to 18 family business, 18 to 22 army, 22 to 25 college, and then there was no place for me and my family business. So I started my own business and it's, this will be 15th year. That's awesome. That's super cool. So was it hard starting your own business when there was still family business? Yeah. So we don't have to get like super deep into it or anything. No, that's a, it's hilarious. It's a small town story. And I have so much distance between that now. You know, it's like my, my, my father's core values and mine did not align and he still runs a painting business. And we literally lived six blocks apart from each other in two historic (laughs) homes on the same town running two painting businesses with the name Slavic in it in a town of 7,000 people. (laughs) So you could imagine there's like things that go on. And for the first hundred estimates I did, I had to kind of explain to people that I'm not doing this estimate for my father. Right. But pretty soon, I mean, my father had been operating for 30 years. People kind of knew the lay of the land. And then uh, a lot of people were kind of cheering me on for that. So That's it was, awesome. it was interesting, but you know, leaving a family business is pretty traumatic. And, yeah. and it was almost least traumatic for me, more traumatic for everybody else involved. Cause my, right. my wife and I were not yet married. Like we okay. literally got married six months after I started my own business, That's give awesome. or take. And it was way traumatic for her. I, mean, I couldn't imagine, like, if I were in her shoes, I'd be like, what did I just step into? Right. This is wild. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yep. Nope. It's really funny. So I, I told you earlier, we had Christine on here um, earlier this year and, and did an episode with her about that. And we were talking through that, right? Yes. And and she she said that as we were coming over here to record it, she's like, you know, you've been an entrepreneur, like, ever since I've known you. Like, even when you worked in college with student painters, she's like, you've always been a business owner, entrepreneur. And she's like... I've never really thought like, that's just who you are and what you've always done. Like, I've never thought about the risk and the entrepreneurial leap. Like, that's just what it's always been. So, so I can imagine being like in your guys' shoes and all of a sudden like, it's literally like marrying a pirate. Yeah. Like it's, 
you, it, because I don't have, you know, the wisdom that a lot of other people do, I didn't have a lot of <clears throat> life experiences. Yeah. I worked in a family business. I did a thing for so long. Um, I always thought like a clerk at Target and a house painter and a entrepreneur or the CEO of Best Buy were kind of like all just like jobs. Yeah. And I had no idea that you're literally a swashbuckler yeah. out there when you're an entrepreneur. It's a completely different lifestyle, risk and reward profile. And a, yeah, you're, you're happy with things. You're, you're disappointed with things at a way different sort of rating scale than most other people. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've never heard it related to a pirate. I like that, though. Feels like it. Man. I like that. It, you're not <laughs> wrong about it. You're not wrong about it, right? Um, so, Nick, why are you so passionate about helping other painting business owners? I mean, you have your own painting company in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, you and Jason, are you the co-chair, the vice chair? What's what's the title here at the PCA? The vice chair. Vice Some chair. would say, you know, the one who gets stuff done. Yeah, but, you okay, know, fair it's enough. one of those. Yeah, yeah. well, no, I mean, it's, you're like the assistant to the regional manager. I am, I am literally, yes, exactly. No, I <laughs> I'm literally there supporting and cheering Jason. For on. sure. He, he's doing such a phenomenal job. Absolutely. Both of you, yeah, Jason is. You guys are definitely leading the charge on it. But why are you so passionate about helping other painting businesses? Yeah. So uh, up until about six months ago, maybe a year ago, I didn't actually have an answer to that. But yeah. um, I read a book that said um, leaders, good leaders, purposeful leaders have a purpose outside themselves. And Ooh. purpose is like a generic word. Yeah. But purpose means that you involve people and things and 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 causes outside of yourself and it started to make sense where you see Jason Paris you see you you see all the people who I look up to in the industry they they are out there involving themselves in other things other causes the PCA other people's lives naturally servant leaders will do that so I think that's a thing that's baked into our DNA like uh, really good leaders do that sort of thing and uh, yeah when I look back to all the people I look up at that's a common trait that they all possessed that's really good I like that and I appreciate that you know I know um, we were joking right before we started recording, like whenever I met you at it, it, a Sherwin-Williams Pro Show, you were here in St. Louis. And, uh, you know, I'd always heard about you, never really got a chance yeah. to put a name in the face together. And obviously I, I look up to you a lot and kind of what well, you've done and stuff. You. And, uh, you know, and I asked you, I was like, you know, Nick, I, I was a couple years into the journey with Elite Business Advisors. Right? That was, was early kinda, on. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. Like I was transitioning out of Elite Painting into this full time. Uh, and I was like, Nick, you know, like, how have you became such a like well-known name in the industry? And I know you're humble. You won't agree to that. Just go with it. I said, how, how have you like done that? And you literally looked at me and you're like, I'm just a loudmouth on social media. And Not I was wrong. like, that's a very interesting perspective. Yeah. You know, you said five years of Ask a Painter. Yeah. So we crossed the five-year threshold before that's a awesome. weekly live show where literally 52 times a year for over five years, I've gone live. And yeah. Literally, I didn't know this was possible. I think I had negative viewers in my first year, you know, but literally it was one of those things where podcasting was actually just coming on the scene five to 10 years ago. And I remember podcasters always saying, who cares? Blast it out into the ether, stay consistent. And if it's any good, somebody will find it. And I just thought, you know what? the the circular answer to the question you asked before was why do that? I would have done it anyway. And honestly, I would still do it if nobody watched. Yeah. If we're being honest. Yeah. Well, because, you know, like, I mean, I think you have the same philosophy I probably do. Jason shares is if you if something that we say in this episode, one thing for 30 seconds of this impacts one person in the world, our time doing this was worth it. I would agree. Like, I would agree. So why not do it, yeah. right? So think about think about the young Chris Moore and the young Jason Paris and the young Nick Slavic. When we were all starting these things off, there wasn't the resources. Now oh, I would have killed to hear a conversation with Jason Paris in yeah. my first year. Absolutely. Just, just for the just for the sole purpose of like, oh my God, a human in my general geographic area 
says some of the things that I believe and is doing some of the things yeah. I do. Like I literally grew up where I thought I was the only person to do this thing yeah. ever. Not good, but like right. the bad stuff. Like I'm the only one who has these problems. Yeah. It is so ridiculous. <laughs> Wait, you mean like more people have problem customers than just like me? Like, you know, I'm not the only one with tough homeowners? Oh, no, no. That's uh, that <laughs> seems to be industry-wide. Um, yes. Yeah, literally. Yeah, you, you know, we all love data. We literally codified that in my business. 1.1% of our clients are usually not connected to the same reality as us. Yeah. And uh, that That's feels good. bad. But when I look in other industries, it, people seem to have a lot higher statistical like interactions with that Probably sort five of thing. to 10%, so, I would guess. Exactly. At least. So, Feels like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. So it's interesting you just said data, um, because I know you're a huge data person as I am, as Jason is. Yep. Thankfully, in Jason's episode, we didn't talk about how to build a spreadsheet and how they work. Um, he I, I've heard stories about, about that. that. But, yeah. um, so, you know, I want to talk a little bit about that because I know it's you're, you're a very data-driven person. Mm -hmm. um, it can be overwhelming to people, right? Especially smaller people, newer to business, <clears> right? <throat> Think back, like you said, the young Nick, Chris, and Jason. Um, where do you recommend, like, what are the three most important areas that you think people should have data for their <laughs> business? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think it all circulates around job costing, like three areas, material, labor, and then I would probably say... Um, Overhead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, data is one of those things where if I had to go back and do it all over again, literally, I would just do job costing and then let data take the wheel, which is job costing leads you down a path of only questions. Yeah. You know, and it's this beautiful path of if you're, if you have two brain cells to rub together and you want to run a successful business and you want to take care of these beloved people around you, you will naturally come across the same 11 successive questions yeah. after you start job costing. And that's, that's, I was forcing myself into a lot of different areas of data. Well, you got to do cash flow analysis and you got to do net promoter right. score. Realize it's like, no, let's master job costing. It will lead you in all the paths yeah. you need to go. It is, it will. <laughs> you know, it's funny because we always say like, we, we start out with job costing, right? And yep. then we turn that into what the monthly cash flow of the business is, right? The analysis, how much are you paying yourself? What's your yeah. monthly expenses, your overhead? Okay, well, here's how much the business made this month. I don't yeah. care about your deposits. I don't care when you collect the checks, jobs done, monthly cash flow, right? Yes. But it all starts with job costing every project. It um, is the foundational piece of data that all other data is built on. Yep, hundred yeah. percent. I love that. Um, so I know, you know, at one point, I, I know you guys probably grown beyond this, but at one point you went from zero to twenty-two painters yeah. in a very short amount of time. Am yeah. I correct in that? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I would love for you to share a little bit about the story <clears throat> behind one, how you got down to zero painters, yeah, um, and then two, how you grew that up to twenty-two and where you guys have grown to today. Yeah. Um, so basically, you know, I, I. My story is almost symbolic of an entire industry where I've been doing it for three decades and I didn't talk to another painter until I was in year 25. Yeah. Two and a half decades. Some people retire from certain jobs after 25 years of service. Yeah. And I hadn't even broken into any of my industry. You were just getting started. I, yeah. I, I'd never made first contact with somebody else. So um, really, our, our, our story's parallel where somewhere between five and six years ago, you made the transition here. I made the transition from basically painting industry V1 to painting industry V2, which my yeah. father's industry, to my industry. And I had what's called the exodus, which I had three craftspeople working for me. And I did what everybody else did. You grab some friends, you grab some neighbors, train them up real well. Right. Nothing is written down. Yep. Nothing is written. There's not an SOP. There's not a thing. I was on site 100% of the time. Yeah. Easy business to run. Cash is great. You're just stacking it up. And then they all left in one Friday night for good reasons. And I, I learned one of the best, like, adult, husband, wife, 
human lessons ever, which is I was more pissed off than I'd ever been when those three people left me in one night. Right. But I was happy for them because two of them went to go mission work and one went to go be a pilot. So I found myself in this super unsatisfying adult situation where I was like, it's not fair. Right. I'm super happy for these people, but you have altered my life and my business. Yeah. And from then on, I vowed, we need to do something more stable for myself and my family and things like that. So I went on a tear in year one of that. I hired two people at a time. The second they were a functioning crew, I found two more. We built up to 10 people that first year with me doing that. The second year, I wanted to test my system. So I grabbed another 12. And for one summer, it was a controlled experiment. I ran 22 people by myself. So all the estimates, all the project management, ordering, scheduling, client care, quality checks, training, yep. everything else. And I found the limits of my systems. That's good. But I'm glad okay. I did the experiments. And I, awesome. I like to do these catastrophic failure uh, experiments often. Uh, I'm very careful with them now because it does have an effect on your employees. Right. So most of the big uh, juicy ones are out of my way, but we still we still test yeah. the ends of this sort of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. So after the 22, we, we had a pretty stable base. I started adding overhead after that, project manager first, estimator after that. And yeah, um, this year, I think we're, we we passed, we got about 42, 43 people That's in the awesome. organization now. That's a full, full-fledged full leadership team, uh, a shop and everything else. So it's That's it, awesome. It's, man. Been, it's been really fun to, you know, again, just in the few years I have known you, it's yeah. been really fun to see where you guys have built to, just even on that time, right? Taking it yeah. from the 22 to where Absolutely. you guys are at now. It's... Yeah. Listen, going from <clears throat> zero to 10 was basically a, 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 a tiptoe through the tulips compared to 22 yes. to 40. Like, oh, yeah. that's when you really, like, you can, you can cowboy your way to 10. You yeah. can cow, I cowboyed my way to 22. <laughs> right. But literally, there's nothing to keep you there. I mean, you're running on fumes at that oh, point. Oh, for so sure. Now so, you test your professionalization. That's a good point. So, what were the systems then? So, you said you really tested your systems and found out where your limits and your failures were. Yeah. When you got to 22, where was, where was your revenue at roughly when you guys were at 22? Do you know? Yeah. So, that was only a blip. So, we were probably just hovering under the million dollar okay. mark. So, we probably had the equivalent of maybe eight to 10 FTEs. Okay. But then in summer, we have all our seasonal. So, we right. kind of blew up that. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. So what were the systems that were first to go? I'm going to assume project management and estimating based on what client you said. Care, client would say. care, one would say. Yeah, client I mean, care probably client care kind of drops off the, the clip pretty bad okay. because if there's one nick and 10 projects, you know, you're not given that personal thing. We right. did really well. My people were amazing. Yep. Uh, you know, there's a couple of drips of paint on a sidewalk, no big deal. And my, my people were very good, very supportive. But yeah, you don't, you, you don't have enough time yeah. to do that. Yep, that's good. Um, so then you hired project manager, hired estimator. Yep. And then what? What was the next one after that? Yeah. And I duplicated up on those then Good. too. So uh, yeah, I think I think we actually hired two two people in a project management role before we hired another estimator. So I actually held on to the estimating. Uh, I mean, basically up until the point where we were crossing the 1.5, 1.7, 1.8. And I, I supported all that sales myself uh, while doing that. But again, with, with grit. And, and my theory, I like to failure test things, which is I will go way, pia- way past the, the point that we need the overhead. Yep. So when we, o- we do hire the overhead, it's immediate relief to me. And then I know it's good. Yes. But there's two ways to do it, right? You right. could hire that person preemptively, invest in it, and know that you have to make up that cash. Right. I just made up for it with my time because it's like, yeah, I can manage my time better than my cash right now. So. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That makes me feel better about how I built this business too, because I've done exactly that. It's yep. like, all right, let's grow it. Oh, now I can hire somebody. No big deal. Yeah. Not you know. So again, there's. I'm not saying that's <laughs> the right way to always do it. It's just. I think it's all in your personality. It like is. literally, 100%. we're we're kind of doing that right now in some roles where I'm still the marketing manager, I'm still the recruiter, and all yeah. this other stuff. And no, I should not be. Uh, that's dividing a lot of time, especially when you yep. have this machine to feed. Like somebody else should be having it, but we need to we need to decide like we're right at a precipice 
this where this is comfortable, this is good. If we make a leap, it has to be a big leap. So when we do that, I just want to pause for a second and make sure. And that means I'm taking on some roles that maybe I wouldn't have to when we do make that leap. No, that's good. And I mean, I'm very much on the, on the same front of, you know, running a good lean company, being smart, making sure that where you've grown to is going to be sustainable, (laughs) right? Because there's nothing worse than like, you know, you have a great month, you hire that person. And then like you have three down months, right? Oof. Yeah. That's, you know, and then you start, uh, and then, you know, like what Jason and you and I love to do is the data and the feelings thing, because you can make the argument, the majority of our industry runs off feelings alone because nobody has anything written down. And when the feelings, uh, you may have data, but sometimes those feelings are so like intrinsic to who we are, they overtake the data sometimes. And then you start making irrational decisions, which is horrible. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. I like that. Um, no, I, I think that that's, it's interesting to say that. Right. And I, one question I guarantee a lot of people are thinking right now as they're listening through this is yeah. how did Nick run 10 people somewhat smoothly? Right. Yeah. You had, well, you're assuming say, it you was had, smooth. Right. I know I am. I am. Right. Cause I'm just going to be the optimist on everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I think in all seriousness, was it that you had the right, you know, leaders in your crews? Like I assume for every, you know, two person crew, somebody was kind of in charge that you could delegate some responsibility yeah. to, um, you know, like kind of what was the setup with that? Yeah. So I, the best perspective I can give people at that time is I had, I want to say I had the cheat code in two ways, maybe one, 1.5 ways, which was literally by the time I reset the company, you could argue that I was a master craftsperson. Yeah. I have tried everything. I have done uh, Victorian restorations. We've done drywall. We've done inside, outside, staining, varnishing, everything. Right. There's nothing that we were given as a painting task that I haven't tried, failure testing, done really well. I've tried all the coatings, all the systems, all the tools, all the everything. So literally by the time I was ready to grow my company, the one competitive advantage I had was our proven processes were set in stone. When I sent somebody out with a project and coatings and tools, I could guarantee you the outcome if that human performed correctly. There's a lot of companies who are forming that in place and that's weird. Yes. The the point five is that ignorance is bliss. I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) I mean, it's super easy to be happy about what you're doing when you don't have data and you you don't know even what to be scared about. Like, I started my business in 2007. Yeah. Great time. Great. I didn't know that. (laughs) Right. And, you know, honestly, for 10 years later, I didn't know that. Yeah. And and it was just one of those things like, yeah, I start my business. I was only going to do that, so what's the choice, you know? And I was so focused on... Well, at that time, I was a very immature man, and I was focused on crushing my father's business. Well, that's which okay. Which is a horribly regressive thing to do. Well, that's but all right. I was so focused on building my own business. You could have told me that there was a zombie apocalypse. I'd be like, "Yep, yeah, I'll still be out there painting." You right. Know, it didn't matter. And only sure, a- when you're still gonna have paint tomorrow. That's all I care about. Exactly. And yeah. and in hindsight, somebody told me that was a really bad time to start a business. It was like. Couldn't have told me that. I didn't care. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, but ignorance I, is bliss. No, that's good. Well, I think it depends on the mentality you have too, right? Some people are looking for the excuses. They're looking, even if it's looking back, say, like three or five years later, right? Um, they're looking for the excuses, yeah. right? You could, uh, 10 years ago, there was a recession. What do you, what? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Like, I built my business. We the, just trudged through it. The most interesting thing is um, a lesson that I've come to learn deeply and seen as almost like a purely scientific truth is that humans divide along the line of ownership and not taking ownership. Yes. And magically, a lot of us pirates are 
almost take too much ownership sometimes. We think everything is our fault. Right. But then we also, when something happens, you know, we realize, like Jason Paris always says, our only, um, our only competition is our own ability to execute our business plan. Well, great. For somebody who takes ownership of everything, sometimes when you shouldn't, and you're a pirate, this is the best industry to be in. Yep. But I see that with people. Some people will point to outside. They'll blame, excuse, deny everything. They will never once look at themselves first. Every conversation we have along the lines of employment and other things divides along those two lines. And I, my filter has been adjusted. And now I see that red and green, That's like good. right in front of me. And life is so much easier when you take ownership. Yes. Honestly, it's a beautiful thing. For I, the people who blame, excuse, deny, don't take ownership, it's a rough path for them. It is. It is. <laughs> well, I think you're very much out of touch with reality at that point. So, well, listen, the easiest thing to do is for you to change you and yourself and the things you can control. You know, I mean, right now we're, we're embroiled in people have told me there's inflation and high gas prices and things like that. And people are all up in arms about surcharges and things like that. And it's like, great. If you had the, do you have any power to change that? If not, take some ownership, change the things you can and let the rest go. And sadly, people will, people will sometimes hyper-focus on those instead of that, instead of taking ownership plus also monitoring yeah. that so yep yeah. exactly they spend more time complaining about it than they do going and combating it yep exactly so. meanwhile they've never job costed and exactly. that feels and, and i don't even like to take that tone generally because yeah. it sounds like you know you're kind of like talking bad about you know the industry and the people in it but literally no. that is in this last year a lot of great leadership lessons have been taught to me it's like this culmination of a lot of things in the in the time after covid right. and now you learn some deep truths about humans and now you see every interaction you have differently like that and yeah. it's just like oh you're one of those ownership people yeah, now you know exactly, and it's right? like, wow this is gonna be great for you yeah you know? <laughs> well you know and i think one thing too is you know you, you say that like you don't want to talk bad about people that don't job cost i think if we sit here and we're like well it's okay if you don't do it we both know we're lying it's, yeah. We can be nice as can be about it. You're the one of the nicest yeah. people I know. Um, definitely even more than Jason. Believe it or not. He's not sitting right over there. I know, there he's not. It's, this is awkward now. Um, but, you know, like... Glorious. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, I think, like, we can be nice about it, but we're just doing everybody a disservice. Hey, like, kids, you know, this is the same thing. Hey, you know what? Stay up all night and watch movies. Eat as much candy as you want, because that's yeah. what you want, right? Yeah. That is the worst thing you can do as a parent. Exactly. And it's hilarious if you say it like that. Yeah, business owner, just go out there. Don't pay quarterly taxes. Don't job costs. Yeah. Don't have anything written down. Just don't have, have an employee manual. Yeah, just get out there and 10X. Yep. Just do it, yep. you know? Just do it, you know, and I think, Crush we, it. and I think we, it's irresponsible for us because we have other people's best interests yeah. in mind if we just gloss over that. So yeah. I'll leave it at that um, before somebody really gets mad and turns us off. So I, I, I don't, I, I never mean to get spicy. No. And I don't do it on Ask a Painter. I'm certainly not going to do it here. No, I, but don't care. I wish somebody would have grabbed me by the collar and shoved me up against a wall and said, job costing is the only thing you will live and breathe for the next yeah. five years. No, I know. That's what I mean. Like, I think no. people need to hear that. I yes, think they, they need do. to hear that it's a, it is that big of a deal, right? Yeah. I'll fight tooth and nail with people yeah. about it if I have to. I usually don't but um so you know as you rebuild your company um i'm going to assume that you were able to do that because you had really good sops yeah good training systems in yep. place um was there anything else that kind of helped you get through that time Oof. yeah um i i was very in intentional about my time usage because the feelings are it takes a lot of extra time to start a business yeah. and people will people will often tell you and this is a truth that it does take extra time if you want to work eight to four and start a business you can do it right if you want to do that but on a compressed timeline you have to put in some more hours so I was very intentional about taking 
24 hours a day and breaking it into three eight hours, which is you work for eight, you sleep for eight, and then you have a third eight. And I, I intentionally divided that four hours family, four hours work. I like that. And But that is something that literally, um, for better or for worse, I'm only coming out of in the last year or two, yeah. you know, of putting in those extra hours. So, But just having that in your head, the data plus the feelings, you can say like, oh, my God, it feels like I'm just spending all my time doing this. But it doesn't feel the same as when you're saying I'm blocking out four hours this morning right. to get these specific things done. Now it feels like productive time yep. and like you're investing in your company versus your company stealing that time from yes. you. That's good. I like that. Well, I think a lot of people, they, they, it's like almost like a pride thing, right? Like, Oh, I work 80 hours a week in my business and that's okay. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of guilty of it too. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Um, like, Oh, what are you doing? Oh, I was up till eight o'clock working last night. Like, yeah. Not always the greatest thing, but when you have that work ethic, it allows you to grow the business beyond yourself at a certain point. So people that work 80 hours a week for 20, 30, 40 years, that it's like at some point you got to work smarter, not harder. There's, there's, I'm all about hard work, but you got to work a little smarter too. So the podcast you did with Jason, you brought up our three favorite stats, which is, you know, life of a paint company. Uh, take home and things like that. And the take home pay is on average $43,000 for a paint business owner in the United States. And, you know, literally there was at one point in my solopreneur years, my first decade of running my own business where I was taking home a hundred grand. Yeah. It wasn't because I worked 40 hours and made that there. It's because I worked two and a half of those $43,000 a year jobs. I was yep. working 100 hours a week yeah. and breaking myself. So really, yeah, you can make a lot of cash, but I forsake my family, yeah. my community, my neighbors, my friends, everything for that. Yeah. And meanwhile, if the money's there and the clients are happy, I was like, well, I'm crushing it. Yeah, I'm doing great, It's like, right? meanwhile, literally, I could have made more per hour working for another painting company. I would have had zero stress. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny how that works. We did an episode a couple months back um, about the the big rocks of life, right? <sighs> Living out your priorities, and it, and it, we talked in that episode about the balance, right? Like, yeah. how do you balance providing for your family financially, but also like making sure your family actually knows who you are and what you look spiritually like. too. Exactly, right? <laughs> like it's, it was a whole. It was a great episode we did with Mark. So, I love that man. Um, it, it was really good. So so one thing. Um, you on, on the employee side of things, um, you are really good at, in my opinion, of having a really good filter down process, right? You get a yeah. hundred applicants, people that want to work with yeah. you and, and you filter them down to not waste your time and to weed out all the people mm-hmm. that aren't serious. Share a little bit about that and, and kind of how yeah. you do that and, and what the, what the pattern is for you and your company. And I will say this too, that, uh, one of my goals with, with most of my things that I put out is to be accurate yeah. and especially on social media, cause it's very easy to make that look something like it's oh, not. Sure. And literally everybody who has ever visited me, including, you know, the leadership team from Fresh Coat was like, they saw my people, saw my facility and they all said, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's like you say it is. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I say this because you said I have a pretty good system. I see the system as a dumpster fire, but <laughs> literally I appreciate the honesty, <laughs> but, um, because it's disappointing to me that not everybody I hire works with me the rest of their lives. Yeah. But when you look at industry data for the painting industry, we are performing arguably four to six times better than the industry average with retention. That's awesome. We're arguably performing somewhere between two and four times better than just the rest of the world, all That's... the real jobs. But every time somebody attrits, it breaks my heart. Yeah, and and I there's that. I have this emotion attached to it. So again, it's a data plus the feelings. I can sleep at night because I know statistically we're doing well, right. but the feelings are not there. Now, like you said, um, 
if there's something that I can contribute to the recruiting efforts of an industry and the innovation of it, it's that I allow people to self-select, basically. I don't beg people to have a phone interview. I don't beg people for an in-person interview. If you don't show up for your phone interview, we just write a little red line through your name, and yep. we're not going to contact you again. We put little hurdles in front of you, and you self-select in. And the first one is obviously our ad. It's, uh, it's so unique that it doesn't speak to the stereotypical painter in our industry. It speaks to a different person that shares our core values. Yeah. And it speaks to a lot of people outside of the trade. So hurdle number one, and then it's phone interview. We'll start with a hundred and I'll go through, you know, 50 phone interviews and then we'll weed it down to 25, you know, in-person interviews. Right. And then I'll usually make offers. I try to have apprenticeship classes of two to four because I find it builds camaraderie and things. Yeah. So we try to get it down to that. And, but the, how I see, I focus on some of the negative too much, right? I see the flaws in this system, which right. are we can't look at a CPA, we can't look at a bar exam, we can't look at licensure, journeymanship, we can't even look at like a red seal like Canada has. Yeah. We basically are sniff testing these people and we can we do personality assessments yeah. on everybody. I have very like um, rigorous questions that try to drill down to something actionable. We, we rate people on our core values, but still it's not a perfect system. No. And you'll get somebody that comes in and even in apprenticeship, we had one person this last year made it through only a week of their first two weeks of apprenticeship in our training facility, and they're like, this ain't for me. Yeah. And it's like, you showed no indication in that, and I don't even know what I would ask to find that now. Right. So because we're dealing with just like unmolded clay a lot of the times, yeah. you're kind of doing a sniff test. And, it, and sadly, some of it comes down to all those things, but some of it is like, would I enjoy having you at a barbecue at my house with my family at some point? Bingo. That's not, I don't want people to take that and be like, that's my entire recruiting system. Yeah, no. But it's, it's one of the 18 sniff tests you can use. Like, what's their disc assessment look like? Did they have any questions for me in the phone interview about this yeah. business? That's a great thing. But then also, like, do I kind of, do I feel like I enjoy this person yeah. or not? And that's a, taking all those things in, it's still kind of a, whew, yeah. It's one of those. <laughs> yeah. You're figuring it out as you go, right? I mean, everybody I, and, is. Man. But like you said, it's data and feelings, right? You, yeah. you can do, I think it's important that you have to disconnect and know that it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. And that you're always going to lose people. You're always going to hire somebody that you're like, yeah, we shouldn't have hired them. <sighs> it's, it, it's always going to get better. And, yeah. and I know you're somebody that strives to always grow and learn yeah. and be better with things. Uh, but I think it's important for people to understand like, yeah. you're never going to get to a point where your recruiting is flawless. Yeah. Uh, great point is literally when I look at the data, because I keep, you know, we have a list of everybody who's ever worked in my company, their yeah. tenure, why they left, how they left, things like that. And literally from two years ago, this is a marked increase in the exactly. in the retention rate, which we have. Still doesn't feel good, but at least I can say statistically we're showing improvement. Exactly. And when you have the data, you can sleep better at night. You can try. So, and, and there's some there's some things it certainly helps yep. uh, to at least have that. Because I, I know I would sleep a lot less if I was only feelings-based. Because literally, I'm one of those guys that will downward spiral really quick because I take sometimes too much ownership. Which, when somebody leaves, I have a tendency to think it was all my creation. It was something I did. I'm you a did everything leader. wrong. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of ego wrapped up in that. But then there's also a lot of misplaced ownership as well, too. Which is when you actually have like exit interviews with people and they're actually honest with you, you find out that they have this thing called a personal life yeah. that you don't interact with or control. Yeah. And sometimes that dictates when they leave and it has nothing to do with you, yep. you know? So no, it's, that's, <laughs> that's good. Taking ownership is generally a better thing than a, a negative. More often than not. <laughs> but you got to give yourself some grace with it. Just understand that. So easier uh, said than done. A hundred percent. 
Uh, well, I appreciate you taking time. Um, what's one final piece of advice you'd like to leave painting contractors with? Mm, boy, start talking to other people. I mean, it, we, we, we take too much ownership sometimes. We have too much ego wrapped up into this. And if you think you're experiencing a problem unique to you in this, not only is it not unique to you and this industry, it's not unique to business. That's good. And um, I will echo the best advice I ever got, which I know Jason has said on your podcast too, which is Jason gave me this advice years ago. This is hard. We'll give him some props here. And literally, data plus feelings, the feelings from Jason is this is hard. And I've seen, I've seen him through the hard years. He's yeah. seen me through the hard years. And the, the data, though, is 4% of all United States companies ever – either make a million dollars in a year or hire and employ more than 10 people. Wow. So most of most of the people experiencing these things are in the top 4% of businesses in the United States. So if it's hard, congratulations. You're trying something very unique. If it was easy, everybody would do it. That's awesome. That's very profound advice. So I appreciate you taking time to do this. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Uh, we've been trying to coordinate for a while. So thanks yeah, for doing it. And uh, maybe next time you're in St. Louis, we'll do it again. I'll be here in a month. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.